He is risen. He is risen I love the proclamation of the Easter greeting. Welcome, friends. Welcome all of you, especially those that are visiting with us today. We're so glad that you have found a place here at St. Paul United Methodist Church on a wonderful Holy Easter Sunday, and we want to invite you to come back and discover what a wonderful family this church truly is and the way in which we engage our community and the ways in which we follow God's lead to truly make this place, this world around us, a better place. Thank you again also for those of you that are here every Sunday. You are a vital part of our mission, uh, our strategy in, in reaching and making disciples here in this local community, and it is just awesome to see all of you in church. There were two little boys, Billy and Bobby, and they were constantly in mischief. They were getting into everything, and Mother had had enough. And Billy and Bobby had just pushed her to the limits, and she made that threat of all threats. She said, boys, if you don't stop what you're doing, I'm calling the preacher. And the preacher will come and tell you what to do and really get into it with him. And the boys went back upstairs, and sure enough, they continued their mischief. And Billy and Bobby were pushing all the mother's buttons, and she did exactly what she said. She called the preacher over. The preacher came and found little Billy upstairs, and he went into the room, and he looked Billy directly in the eye, and he said, Billy, do you know where Jesus is? And Billy looked at the preacher. He said, Billy, do you know where Jesus is? And Billy was shocked, and he ran into the other room, and he said, Bobby, Bobby, I can't believe it. They've lost Jesus, and they think we had something to do with it. Well, Easter, Easter makes a big deal about the empty tomb, but I want to push a little bit on the limits today because Easter is more than just the empty tomb. The empty tomb is important, but if that's all that we seek is to discover an empty tomb, I believe we've missed the entire Easter message. John makes the case very clearly that Jesus is more than a mere man, but he is God in the flesh, that God has come to us, that he is the existential answer to the questions that we seek in all the things in which we strive in life, that we can find it in Jesus, that God became man in the flesh. And in the beginning, John writes these words. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he goes on to say that the Word became flesh. So how do we recall the Easter story? It begins on a Thursday night when Jesus is arrested in the garden. He's taken, he's put onto a mock trial. He is beaten and flogged, and he is prepared for the cross to go to crucifixion. On Friday, they crucified Jesus dead. At later that day, Judas Iscariot hangs himself because of what he has done in selling out the Lord. Saturday comes, and the disciples are in hiding. They can be nowhere found, and they are there as Jesus is in the tomb. On Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene wakes up early and she runs to the tomb and she discovers that the body is not there and she runs back to the disciples who remain in hiding and she explains to them that the tomb is empty, that the stone has been moved away and Luke tells us that the disciples thought that it was just an incessant ranting of a woman and they were not going to believe her testimony at all. Mary goes back to the tomb, and finally the disciples think, and they run out there, and, and they themselves discover the tomb is empty, but yet they leave Mary all by herself, and she's weeping and crying. And what do the disciples do? They run back into hiding as a group so that they can be behind closed doors. And there alone, Mary Magdalene sees Jesus. And he says to her, peace be with you. 
four of the most profound words that we can ever think in our Christian faith, peace be with you. And she runs back to the disciples and she says, I have seen the Lord. And all of a sudden, great things begin to happen. If you've ever wondered, why were the disciples hiding? Had not Jesus prepared them for this day? Had Jesus not said to them that, that terrible things would happen to him, that as the Messiah, that he would die upon the cross, a cruel and horrible death, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead? The disciples were hiding because, as we clearly know, that, that when a leader is creating a movement, when a leader is, is saying things that others don't like, immediately people want to snuff out the leader, and that's exactly what they were doing with Jesus. And when you snuff out the leader, what do you do? You snuff out the leader's followers. You make sure that every bit of information that the leader knows, the strategies and the sayings and all about that leader are snuffed out. So the disciples were hiding because they feared for their very life. They're locked behind closed doors. They sat and they wait and they were in fear. I think they were in some kind of trauma. I think that, that if, you, if you found yourself ever suffering from trauma, you know quickly what that means. Uh, some in the room have, have gone through and, and, and experienced trauma in their life and some things that have been so earth-shattering and things that have just rocked everything that there is about you. And somehow when we are in fear and when we're trembling, we find ourselves locked behind closed doors. We are not the person that God had created us to be. I remember when some good friends of ours, 19-year-old son, was killed in an auto accident, and I went and paid a visit to the home of Steve and Debbie, and when I got there, I could not find her in the crowd of the hordes of the people that had filled the house, and finally in the corner there I saw a woman whose face was not as I had remembered, but because of the trauma and everything that had happened, she had a mask of, of fear, and she had a mask of hurt and pain that surrounded her. When death comes into our lives, we become afraid, and we experience post-traumatic stress disorder. If you've ever been with a loved one who's died, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When we begin to experience what happens, we, we live in a life of shock, and we lose all hope, and we're not certain what's next. And this is exactly what I believe the disciples were experiencing, that the reason they were behind closed doors was that they could not be in tune with what was coming next. They were afraid and in fear. But Jesus shows up, and he says those four important words, peace be with you, the four words that rang true as a voice in the church some 2,000 years after they were originally spoken. If you're with me, you've got to understand that today we need peace, don't we? We need a world of peace. We need a country of peace. We need homes of peace. And so much is happening around us that, that we begin to understand the significance of those four words of Jesus on that day in the midst of trauma and of tragedy. Peace be with you. We need peace in the sense that, as we recall last week on Palm Sunday, when the Coptic Christians in Egypt should have been experiencing the great celebration of the beginning of Holy Week and said, we're bombed. We begin to continue to see the saber-rattling going on between our country and North Korea. And we wonder, will there remain peace? We see news stories and bodies of, of, of Syrians that are being killed by their leadership. And we begin to sense in the midst of today that our country is entering into another cold war with Russia. We need peace. 
We need peace about us. And it's no wonder that the disciples were traumatized on Easter Sunday. Because I think today some of us are traumatized by world events as well. As your pastor, I have been beside your bedsides. I have been beside many bedsides when loved ones go home to be with the Lord, when loved ones die. I've been in emergency departments when doctors come and they share those words that none of us ever wants to hear. I'm sorry your loved one has died. I recall those moments in my own life when I held my precious granddaughter at the time of birth, hoping to hear her cry of life, only to know that she had died. Trauma, death steals stuff from us. It's not fair. And the disciples and we are in tune with all of these things, and we understand why they were in hiding John continues in his gospel, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the doors locked, were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. I love that. Jesus just pops in. Peace be with you, he said. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides, and the disciples were overjoyed. They had seen the Lord. Right there. No knock on the door. No door being opened. Jesus appears. Poof. He's there. And he says to them, I know what you're seeing a couple of days ago. I know you saw me die on the cross. I know you saw my lifeless, listless body placed in a tomb. But it is me. Look, the wounds in my hands, my side. It's really me. I'm alive. And the story rings true for us. You see, hate, sin, evil, all of those things will not have the final say. And I need you to listen to me. The worst thing will never be the last thing. The tragic nature of the death of Jesus was not the end. God is addressing the truth in death and in something more. And I, I remember when, when Patty's, my wife's Patty's granny died. She was in a catatonic state. She didn't move. She didn't open her eyes. She was barely breathing. She was unconscious, and we were all watching and, and waiting for that moment when her life would ebb from this world to the next. And a woman who had not moved for several days, had not said a word, all of a sudden as she took her final breaths, her eyes lit up, a smile on her face as she said, oh, it's so beautiful, so beautiful. And she died. There is so much more to the story. Here is a woman who couldn't speak, and yet she saw with her own eyes what resurrection means. The Apostle Paul reminds us, he says, Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? So let me ask you this morning, what is it that made the Easter tomb so profound? Only gradually the disciples come to the conviction that Jesus was raised from the dead. They didn't come to that conviction because the tomb was empty, but because the risen Christ had returned to them. The empty tomb had astonished the disciples, but, but yet it was when they saw Jesus, they knew. The Apostle Paul writes many ways on the resurrection, but he does not mention an empty tomb Matthew in his gospel, or Luke, excuse me, in his gospel, tells us about all of the sightings and makes a big point to let us know that Jesus was with his disciples for many days, eating with them, 
talking to them, nurturing them, praying with them, encouraging them. It was not the empty tomb that led to their belief, but it was the crucified Christ who was raised from the dead. It was Jesus' return. It was the presence with them. When he broke the bread and he served them the cup, they saw him. It was in his words. It was in his affirmation. It was then as it is today, continuously in his real presence, that the crucified Christ has been raised from the dead. In his gospel, Matthew says, the final words of Jesus are this. Go and make disciples, but then he says this sentence, and surely I am with you always until the end of time or the end of the age. Jesus' final words. I imagine when the disciples heard those words, I am with you always, were they, were they taking that as a compliment or a word of encouragement, or were they seeing it as a kick in the seat of the pants by the Lord to get on with the kingdom's business? That he was with them, he was watching them, he was encouraging them, he was nurturing and pushing them to be active. Jesus had been with them for three years, introducing ministry, performing miracles and signs, and he now he was hounding them, I will be with you until the very end of time. Here's the good news. If you don't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, then how do you explain the continued presence of the body, his church? His church has survived schisms all throughout the time, disagreements between congregations and clergy, disagreements upon issues of social status, on sexism, on racism, on all things, and yet the church of God remains strong. Resurrection proves to be true. Those shell-shocked, depressed disciples who were hiding in the back room like a bunch of rabbits behind the closed door, scared to death. Jesus said, get out there and fight the armies of Caesar. And you know what? They licked Rome without even raising the first weapon or sword. They did it because Christ compelled them. Our chief proof of the resurrection is Jesus' continued presence within his holy church. God produces a new people by water, by spirit, through baptism. And he produces people that go on to confuse the world. A people whose assembling is so far against what the world teaches that the people look at the church and say, how can you believe what you do? And we swim against the stream of what the world's values are. That explains resurrection. It explains truth. And God, through Jesus Christ, compels us and commands us to go into the world to tell the whole truth about God. Not many of the early preachers ever said the words, Jesus is raised, now we all get to go to heaven, let's just be joyful about that. What we hear them say is Jesus is raised, and this says something about the nature, the power, and the love of God, and despite the fact that we thought he was defeated on the cross, God's great news is breaking through, that the world is now different, because God is here right before our eyes, and we get to play a part in the show and tell of what the world is all about. You know, even though the friends of Christ, those of us who believe in this promise, even though we suffer, even though we go through injustices and torture and even death, we can be sure that God will always have the last word. The Gospel of John opens this way. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is saying that Jesus 
is God's word into the world through resurrection. And God has said the last word on our death. And God has placed that and said that there is victory over your sin. And that victory also gives forgiveness and triumph in life. And when Mary Magdalene came face to face with Jesus, John is the writer who points out to us the significance of seeing the gardener in, in the area. Because we recall from the very beginning that God created in the garden. The Genesis story reminds us that the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Thus, Adam and Eve, the first people, were created. The Genesis story tells us that God created a majestic garden, a garden filled with all the things that God wanted us to have. And God said to Adam and Eve, all of this is yours. You can have everything except you cannot eat from this tree. I give you everything, but this one thing, you are forbidden to eat from it. We succumb to temptations too, don't we? We find ourselves wanting to do the right thing, moving in the direction of doing the right thing, and yet something is like, speaks to us, and when we are told we can't do something, guess what? We want to do it all the more, and we engage a part in that, and I think that that's what happens when we are tempted, that we find ourselves committing sin, and we find ourselves off the path of God, and we find ourselves moving further away from God rather than running close to him, and we want to be more than God instead of his disciples and his servants. Once Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden fruit, they became corrupt, and the entire world was placed in a curse. Death entered the world, and the world could no longer be what God had originally created it and designed it to be. And each of us in our lifetime, we hear the whispers of the serpent. We feel the nudges to move on into the direction to go against the grain of what God says, and we succumb to that. But yet Jesus Christ is the answer. He is that which restores us back in life to God. He is the bridge that brings us home. The resurrection is more than changing the physical presence. It's, it's more than that. When we say that we trust in the resurrection, Lord God, change us, we become a new humanity. We truly believe we are of a new creation. We become something new and significant, and it means that we are to transform this new creation into a helpless, broken world, and that you and I are to lead the way to bring peace and to restore God's peace in our broken world. When Christ appeared to the disciples after the tomb was empty, he said these words, as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. Because of the resurrection, Jesus says to all of us, he is sending us into our neighborhoods. He is sending us into our schools. He is sending us into our local governments. He is sending us into our community, into our state, into our country, and into the world, that we are to go beyond the call of duty to restore the kingdom's purpose and to mend the brokenness of our world and bring back the creative order of what God intended it to be. You and I are the vessels. How do we know that? The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Glorify the Father in heaven. In other words, he was saying, it's no longer my job, folks. It's now yours. And he passes the mantle to us. 
And here at St. Paul, we take these words very seriously. We seriously take these words with great care. Our church council, the administrative body that governs our church, has established two strategic initiatives for us to engage, to be the light of the world into this local community. And the first one is to introduce 20,000 persons in a five-mile radius of this church so that they can experience and share the love of Jesus Christ. This doesn't mean handing them a track or, or to slap them a high five to say that, but to lead them into a relationship to know that Jesus Christ is the way. The second strategic initiative is to follow Jesus' lead, to reach out to those experiencing poverty. What kind of poverty? Social poverty, emotional poverty, spiritual poverty, financial poverty, and to strive to reverse the effects that it has on our community, which means that we are going to engage and to be in conversation with our local municipalities, with those who make decisions in our local areas because a, a community that is thriving is a thriving community, a community that believes that it can succeed will. And because the resurrection matters, that's why we believe in this. That's why we are all in. And that's why we are here to bring the kingdom's purpose to be. If you're new this morning, I sure hope you come back. I want to personally offer you the invitation on behalf of all the people who are part of this church to come and join us in these efforts, to make this community truly is a better place so that as the Father is sending Jesus or has sent Jesus, that you and I can be sent as well and that we can make a difference. Easter Sunday is not solely about the empty tomb. It begs some powerful questions that you and I who profess to be believers of the way in Christ, that we must ask the question, what is it that God is asking me to do? And how will I work to bring the peace and the love of Christ into this local community and even into the world? What is my mission and purpose? And how can I be used? The resurrection changes everything. I'm often asked these questions. Bob, do you believe that, that Jesus was really dead? And the answer is absolutely he was dead. Do you really believe that, that when he was placed in the tomb that something mystical was happening? Absolutely I believe that. Bob, do you really believe that, that he was resurrected from the dead and that he returned? The scripture tells us, and yes, I believe that. And they say, Bob, why? I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit who's given us the gift of life. I believe in the crucifixion. I believe that he conquered death. I believe in the resurrection. And I know he's coming back again. May we believe and not just do, but believe in Easter.